0: welcome back to another episode of sean neds do baseball i'm sean and
1: i'm eds we're bringing you some baseball history that's right we're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be on the mound throwing and that my friends is a
0: little dangerous but we like it that way (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, we discovered that last year.
0: <laughs> we did, we did. And uh, it's February, my friends. Uh, we don't have many uh, months where we, we set hard guidelines for our stories, uh, but it is Black History Month, so we're going to be bringing you some stories of black history in baseball. There is a ton of it. If you don't know about it, read about it. Mm-hmm, there's We'd, a lot of interesting history out there for sure. And uh, Edzie, you're telling a story today.
1: That's right. I uh, kind of i had another story on the go mm-hmm. you know unrelated to black history month it mm-hmm. was kind of turning into a bit of a quagmire mm-hmm. you know i was hoping to get it out for the early part of this season but mm-hmm. anyway um, it's it's that's neither here nor there exactly and i'm here uh, telling a story from black history month but before i tell it make sure you follow us on twitter at doing baseball and on Instagram at doing dot baseball, and if you got TikTok at doing baseball, and of course we got our own personal Twitters. Mine is at Sean do baseball, and I'm at Ed's do baseball. And of course, thanks for listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're listening to us. Thanks for giving us a bit of a boost in listenership over the last year. Yeah, uh, we appreciate it very much. Thanks for
0: listening, and uh, let us know how you feel. Give us a review, story ideas. We're open to all of it. Uh, But I'm excited. I'm excited to get going. Uh, There we go. What? Oh, Two Loons. Two Loons. We are Two Baseball. (laughs) We are Two Baseball Loons, uh, but we are also sponsored by Two Loons Brewing. Uh, Fantastic. My friend Rosie uh, put his sweat, blood, and tears into this. Heart and soul. Yes. And it is fantastic. So at Two Loons, uh, they believe in a great beer can bring good people together. Uh, They're inspired by lofty dreams and leisurely pursuits. And, of course, all things in balance. So they have their Two Loons IPA available now in Ontario at LCBOs. Uh, Grab it. It tastes great. It's balanced. It's good. Uh, Everything about it. They got more stuff coming. Uh, Hopefully, we will have a brick and, or they will have a brick and mortar location. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. uh, But absolutely, two loons, check
1: it out. And of course, uh, Uh, enjoy responsibly and uh, be of legal drinking age. Absolutely. Um, So moving on from there,
0: we're going to get to this story. Uh, I think we've done everything we need to do. We've covered
1: everything we need to cover before we get into the story. All right. But before I actually begin this story, Sean, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. It's a trivia question. that I'm hoping will illustrate a great injustice. Yes. Okay? It's my belief that you'd be hard-pressed to find a person that wasn't living in a cave or under a rock who, that even if they were not a fan of the great game of baseball, had not heard of Jackie Robinson. Of course. And who would be unable to answer the question, who was the first black major league baseball player? Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. And, of course, you know, for the people who want to get nitpicky here, I am aware of Moses Fleetwood Walker. Yep. I know. He played 42 games for the Toledo Mudhens in 1884 for the American Association. Yep. So, yes, professional, Mm -hmm. but not... I don't believe the American Association, if even ever, was considered a major league at the time.
0: It's debatable. I'm sure many people... uh... Have strong opinions that have too much time on their hands.
1: Yes, yes. So, like I say, I think that's why it doesn't count because it technically wasn't a major league. Sure. Okay, it's debatable, like you say. Anyway, yeah, regardless, right. that doesn't matter at this point. It We're does not. talking about how your average person would probably answer who was the first black major league player and it would by be saying fun. Jackie Robinson.
0: Yeah, that was kind of a leading question. You didn't really ask me that question. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: hold on. Hold on. <laughs> okay, Let me get to right. something here. They'd be right about Jackie Robinson, obviously. But that's not the question I want to ask you, Sean. Oh. I want to ask you if you know who the first black pitcher in the major leagues was. Oh, fuck. I should. I really hope you don't know. (laughs) I... I don't, but I, I should. I really should. You're going to say his name, and I'm going to be like, yes! May the 3rd, 1920, in the town of Empire, Alabama, Daniel Robert Bankhead was born.
0: I have no idea
1: who that <laughs> You is. have not heard no. of it. That. Okay, that's what I'm saying. This is the great injustice. This is the first black pitcher in Major League Baseball. And you, you mean in integration? Yes. Like after Robinson? After Robinson. Okay continue wow okay i I had never heard of him before either that's why i decided to focus on uh this particular man anyway he was born in empire and empire is a town in walker county which is also home to country music singer zeke clements okay he's also known as the dixie yodeler (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a totally unimportant fact yeah, yes. totally <laughs> we're gonna,
0: that's why there was yodeling at the top yeah, of this episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to do our best yodeling impression at the end we just try, like, shoehorn that in
1: <laughs> so anyway like I said that's unimportant to the story forget about that Empire is about 30 miles or so from Birmingham and was the coal country that fueled the booming steel industry in the big city of Birmingham Dan was born to parents Garnet and Ari who had seven children five boys and two girls these at least were the children that survived to adulthood yeah according to bankhead's saber bio which was once again written by the amazing rory costello yep who you know i'll just take a quick aside here for those who are unfamiliar rory is the co-chairman of the bio project committee and chief editor at saber Mm -hmm. so he's you know all the research that at least i've done for these podcasts his name has come up in countless yeah biographies you know so
0: very familiar
1: you know he's he's done a lot of heavy lifting for me at least for and, us and a lot thanks of, yeah.
0: so <laughs> we thank can't you can't do it without you yeah thank
1: you rory <laughs> thank so, you anyway i'm gonna carry on here at this time in history during the jim crow era it was common for members of the black community to make their money by sharecropping yep uh, which, if you don't know, that was the practice of which farmland was supplied by a lease, license, or some kind of similar arrangement like that to a tenant, who would farm the land in return for a portion of the crops grown on their property. Yeah. Right. So, essentially, you you have you seen a Bug's Life? Yes, I have. <laughs> you were like a bug's the ants. Yeah. And like the people that owned your land were the grasshoppers. Well, I I also know?
0: remember. Uh, I mean, about learning in school about the kind of sharecropping with the seniors and stuff in, in the 1700s in, in Ontario and Quebec. And, and you had, you, you, it's kind of the same system, but it's fucked up that this was happening, you know, mm-hmm. less than 100 years ago. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. So at, at this time, like I say, for the people that were now considered free yeah. after the abolition of slavery in America, many were working the same land. Yeah. And lived in the same housing. and
0: They just got paid a shitty salary and all yeah. of a sudden it was okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. We worked under the same close yeah. supervision of the same overseers yeah. and everything. It's so, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, basically what we're trying to illustrate is for a lot of the sharecroppers, you know, they were leasing land from their former masters. And because of this, many, if not most, sharecroppers felt like this was just slavery under a new name. Yeah. You know, and like you say, they got paid fucking pennies yeah basically they were just harvesting the land for
0: couldn't make enough money to move so what are they're just stuck there yeah they're just stuck in and you yeah so yeah it's it's, it was not a good system
1: no that's for sure so garnet was ever prideful and he took many different jobs over the years including in the lumber yards in the sawmills and in the mines in the area Mm -hmm. which were all Obviously, extremely dangerous jobs.
0: Yeah, but well, well also having to meet your farm quota and shit with your <laughs> with your sharecropping.
1: Well, he wasn't sharecropping. That's what oh, I'm saying. Okay, he so was he, doing he these jobs because you know they, I'm they assuming in his mind it was oh, okay. it was like a step up from sharecropping because yeah, he was yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. beholden to okay. the old masters. You know what I mean? So My
0: apologies. Continue. Yeah,
1: so it, but it also offered a heftier pay. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to give a portion of what you're earning to you know yeah, yeah, the owners yeah. Of you the just land. get to keep it yeah so around the time of world war one garnet worked for a lumber company but by 1920 the census showed him working at a coal tipple which is a loading facility okay and then by the 30s he was actually down in the mine yep but aside from his work garnet was also a baseball man according to an account from the book Crossing the Line, which was black major leaguers 1947 and
0: 1959.
1: Uh-huh. He was, in fact, an all-star first baseman in the Cotton Belt League. So say the authors Larry Moffey and Jonathan Kronstadt. Okay, okay but although the source of this particular antidote is unclear, in the book they claim that Garnet had either given the game up or at least, like, lost all skill and confidence in it mm-hmm. after he witnessed a man's death. What? After he was hit by a flying bat. Wh- what? <laughs> yeah. it's just like, I'm done. He's like, ah, oh, that was fucked up. I can't uh, <laughs> just, just Whether what? he actually quit or, like I say, he was just, he got the, like, super yips because, you oh, know. Oh,
0: God. Was it another, uh, maybe it was a fellow first baseman? And maybe.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's, like I say, the source and, you know, there's not a lot of, i uh, get to it eventually, but, like, the facts of Bankhead's life are kind of Pieced together over the years because his his history was kind of lost in time for a while. Okay, you know, yeah.
0: No, so I'm just still. (laughs) That has
1: to be (laughs) traumatic.
0: No kidding.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm just a wow. Like. Okay. So Garnet gives it up. Okay. okay. But I've seen a lot of fucked up stuff on a baseball
0: field. Never seen a man killed by a flying <laughs> bat. No.
1: Well, Garnet... Never
0: even heard of it. I'm sorry. I Garnet
1: Bankhead saw it. Yeah. But that didn't stop Garnet's boys from playing ball. Okay. And Dan, as I mentioned, was one of five boys born to the Bankheads. He was the third son and born into an apparently naturally gifted baseball family. Mm-hmm. His oldest brother, Sam, was mm-hmm. a good hitting, speedy, and versatile infielder-outfielder who was... You know, a top-notch player in the Negro Leagues for 20 years from 1930 to 1950.
0: Okay, yeah. I think I've heard of Sam Bankhead. Yeah? Yeah. Okay.
1: And he later became a manager off his reputation as a hard-nosed leader, and he led his Venezuelan Winter League, Vargas Sebios to a championship in Mm 1946-47, the Winter Leagues. He managed the Homestead Greys in their final two seasons of independence and finally is recognized as the first black bench boss of a predominantly white team when he managed the Farnham Pirates in Canada's Provincial League in 1951. Where the fuck
0: is Farnham? Quebec. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah.
1: There's there's, there's a few mentions of the Provincial League in this story. I'll, I'll... Interesting. Get a little bit of a preface here. Okay. So also brother Fred had a respectable career as an infielder from nineteen thirty-six to nineteen forty-eight. And younger brothers Joe spent time with the Birmingham Black Barons in forty eight while Garnet Junior Pitched for Memphis in forty-seven and then with the Grays for 48 and 9.
0: Holy shit. So this is a kind of a a, a family dynasty. It's like the Sutters of baseball. <laughs> and the dads like can't watch. It's like I saw a man die on the field, sons, get off of him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. He's traumatized.
0: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> we're not talking about Dan or his traumatized dad. <laughs> we're talking about Dan.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as I mentioned, frankly, little is known about Dan's early life. Yeah. Most of the accounts of his life have been pieced together by stories his relatives have told that have helped to fill in the blanks in the sparse press coverage that Dan received over his career, mm-hmm. even by the black newspapers. Mm-hmm. What is known is that he attended public schools in Birmingham, but not much else. Okay. So let's just skip ahead to 1940. Yep, sure. Okay. We're in 1940. <laughs> and Dan's 20. All right. So he joins the Birmingham Black Barons, mm-hmm. a hometown team. And now Brent Kelly wrote a book in 2000 called The Complete Book of the Negro Leagues. Yeah. And he talked to some old teammates of Bankhead's who described the scene when Dan came up for spring training. William Jimmy Barnes was another, which is. Why was his name Jimmy? His name was (laughs) William. William.
0: Jimmy Barnes. This is Craig Timothy
1: Johnson. Jimmy Barnes was another young player who went for tryouts in Birmingham, and he recalled, quote, I just tried out for the Little City League team. Dan Bankhead and I were trying out for third base, and we were throwing the ball across the infield so hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just fucking whipping just it, man Just pumping his own fucking, tires yeah, Just,
0: just gas
1: Yeah, just hitting the mitt and just, just pop You know <laughs> I've seen ball players do that, yeah. it's great <laughs> <laughs> Ulysses Red told Kelly Quote, we went to spring training And had a bunch of guys out there A bunch of shortstops anyway Even Dan Bankhead wanted to be a shortstop At that time But he was throwing so hard They said they would make a pitcher out of him and they did the right thing. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't seem like he got into many games that year, though, just posting a 2-1 and record. Uh-huh. And then a 4-1 and record for 1941. Yeah. But that was a season in which he was an all-star, pitching for the East and West game on July 27th. So was he, like, a reliever? I think, like, he was kind of a mix of both.
0: Okay, you yeah, know? yeah. He, was he would just make a... starts,
1: but he was, yeah. was kind of... A little bit of everything. Yeah, it was kind of pitching by committee sometimes. And yeah.
0: Yeah. Just like Bankhead, you're in. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So in the winter of '41 into '42, Dan went to pitch in Puerto Rico for the first time, where he posted a record of seven and eight before returning to the Black Barons in '42. He went two and one again, according to Baseball Reference. Costello's article says three and zero. Oh, okay. But. We'll go with the stat There's heads. There's discrepancies. i was going to go with the stat heads. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. In this yeah. case. Well we'll, well, we'll talk about that. that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the person responsible for those stats, actually, in the next episode. Okay, excellent.
1: Yeah. So, uh, then, can you guess what he does? I, he does... The it's thing. April 1943. He plays baseball. There's a war.
0: Yeah, oh, okay. He, <laughs> he joins the Army or Navy or something.
1: Marine Corps. Marine Corps. He enlists in the Marine Corps. Well, good for him. So he signs up in Macon, Georgia. Sure. And was stationed at Camp Lejeune mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Not really with Camp Lejeune, no. Okay, so the years between 1942 and 1949 were a period of segregated training for black Marines. I would
0: assume so. Yeah, that's unfortunate.
1: Yep. It was prior to the signing of Executive Order 8802 by FDR, which yep. was to, quote, prohibit ethnic or racial discrimination in the nation's defense industry. Yes. Which I'm sure that accomplished.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Change takes time, it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Anyway, and Dan was at one of these segregated camps known as Monfort Point, becoming one of the Monfort Point Marines. Okay. Okay. Dan's unit, however, was not a combat unit, as the Montfort Point is home to the Marine Corps Combat Service Support Schools, where various support military occupational specialties like administration, supply logistics, finance, Navy corpsmen, and motor transport maintenance are trained.
0: So he's like either a pencil pusher or a mechanic, pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it, it's the support. Cool, you know <laughs> what are you doing francis your dog's trying to get on yeah he's trying, <laughs> he trying to... to get his face in yeah. front of your mic yeah that's right uh so let's see where was i again francis you're distracting me dan was part of the montford point baseball team okay who remained stateside for the war mm-hmm. and toured as a morale raiser okay and at one point at least dan was even granted leave so that he could pitch for the black barons Sweet. On June 5th, 1944, the New York Times reported that in front of 12,000 fans, Bankhead struck out 17 New York Black Yankees in a three-hit shutout to cap the night of a doubleheader. Damn.
0: Yeah. So that's, yeah, I guess it's, uh, I mean, if he's stateside, why not? That's very nice for the Marine Corps to just be like, yeah, go pitch. Yeah, might as well go head up there to New York. But if he's you playing know. on the Marine Corps team, they might think of it as, as you know, he's getting practice and yeah that's their games well. coming up they're they're obviously the new york black yankees are a much better team than the yeah. 162nd <laughs> <laughs> <squad>. <laughs>
1: yeah i would imagine <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i could make that team <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: you just have to sign up just yeah. just risk your life yeah. <laughs> you can play <laughs> yeah anyways <laughs> anyways
1: so in the army uh, or in the marines yeah. bankhead rose to the rank of sergeant and was honorably discharged in june of 1946 When he returned to the Negro American League, Memphis Red Sox, this time. Okay. And it was assumed, by me at least, because the date is supposedly still contested, that it was at this point in the mid-40s, quote Mm mid-40s, that Daniel Bankhead married his wife, Linda Marquette. Okay. Linda was a slender, graceful white woman who had attended the Chicago Conservatory of Music and was a former featured singer with jazz great Fletcher Henderson's Orchestra. Okay. What year is this? Sometime in the mid nineteen forties. Like I say, it's on Yeah. A lot of this guy's life is kind of, you know, period ballparked. Yeah. The dates are ballparked.
0: Okay, okay, I understand. Uh wow. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's that's awesome. So he's got a celebrity wife. Yeah, but also a uh,
1: white celebrity wife. Yeah, that's yep. a
0: and he's from the south and plays in Memphis. Yeah. So that's, uh, I, I feel like that's not going to be great.
1: It, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to really affect too much. Well, I mean, at least I in public fucking, opinion or whatever. But.
0: I am pleasantly surprised and I love that. Mm-hmm.
1: I've, I'm very, wow, okay. Yep. So the two met, according to their son, William, while Linda was working as a singer. Yep. The couple had a daughter who is believed now to be a foster child named Walula. <laughs> what or Lulu for short? Okay. Walula. But why a foster child? Well, I mean, it's unclear why they like would have had a foster child. But the re- I'll explain why they think it's a foster child because in ni- apparently in 1947 there was an article in the Richmond Afro American, okay, which is a, a newspaper. Yeah. and it was about the couple that noted that their daughter was nine. Okay. And Dan and Linda had been married for ten years. Okay. Which. Would have meant that Dan and Linda got married at 17 and 15. Oh. And I don't think, like, they even would have known each other oh, at that okay. point.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that would have also made it 1937.
0: So they were fostering this child?
1: Yes. Oh, okay.
0: I, anyways, sorry. I, yeah. I am. Just... What did you think? I thought they put their child up for adoption. Oh, no, no, no. I was like, "What? No, 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 no the, the, this was the, nice. They had
1: a child. That <laughs> okay. They had yeah. probably adopted.
0: Oh well, that's very sweet of you them know? as well. Yeah.
1: So, like I say, they—if that was, you know, if their child was theirs and they yeah. had been married for ten years—I assume they were telling that story because they didn't want to be like we had this child at a wedlock or whatever.
0: Yeah. Okay. You okay. know, I also understand that. So, okay. so
1: yeah. you know, but if that was true, then they would have been married in nineteen thirty-seven. Which is probably not the case, because I don't think they'd known each other at that time.
0: I got it. So it's a sketchy time. Yes, yeah, so
1: the, the dates were incorrect in the story, but the girl was younger. or so. Sorry, so either the dates were incorrect in the story, Yeah, the girl was younger than the age of nine written, yeah. or the girl was an adopted child, and like I say, the latter of which is what is accepted by the family today. At least that, that's what his son William... Okay. Says, right? Sure. So we're carrying on. I'm going to go with what his son says. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, with Linda and Lulu at his side, Bankhead returned to Puerto Rico in the winter of 1946-47 and pitched for the Caguas Criolos. Okay. He had a 12-8 and record and led the league with 179 strikeouts and was no slouch on the base pass. Dan showed off his fleet-footedness with 12 stolen bases as well. So Dan is kind of coming into his own here in the latter half of the 40s. He's got a career in baseball. It's kind of starting to bud. He's got a loving family with a shapely jazz singer wife. And Dan had another all-star year in 1947. And on July 27th, Dan again got the win in the East-West All-Star Game when he allowed just one run in three innings at Comiskey Park. The West won five to two in front of more than forty-eight thousand fans that day. Holy shit! Yeah, so they drawn big crowds, huge, and importantly, Dodgers scouts George Sisler ah. and Wid Matthews were there. Oh, okay. Second episode was Sisler, huh? He was
0: in that. He was the at the baseball school and. Donkey baseball. Right. That's true. Back to back.
1: (laughs) Yes. It's weird how that works. So, anyway, so Sisler and Matthews are there. They were there because the Dodgers were short on pitching. Ironically, because Kirby Higby had refused to play on the same field as Jackie Robinson.
0: Yeah, fuck that guy.
1: Yeah, so that's Branch, an ultimate. Oh, that's an ultimate burn. And it I was continue. just gonna say. So Brant Ricky <laughs> released his racist ass. Yeah. And in what comes across as a big fuck you to yeah. Higby and all the others in the game that shared his views, turned to the Negro Leagues for a replacement. Wow. So Ricky and Whistler traveled to Memphis for an August twenty-second contest, mm-hmm. so that they could watch Bankhead, who dazzled in a win raising his record to 11 and 5 while fanning 11 batters. Fantastic. Okay. So after the game, the Bankheads invited the two men from Brooklyn to their place for dinner, mm-hmm. which sealed the deal. Of course. You know. And Ricky announced that Dan's contract had been purchased from Memphis owner JB Martin for $15,000.
0: Okay, so he actually he, he he paid for it. That's that's nice at mm-hmm. least. That's, that's I mean, he paid JB Martin. The owner of the team. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. It's like the owner... Well, that's... Uh, we've, we've discussed before how integration eventually fucked over the black owners. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, at least in this case, the owner at least You're, got true. compensation right. Right. from Ricky.
1: Yes. Yeah. So in early September 1947, Dan Bankhead was joined by his wife, Linda. Or, in some accounts, Charlotte. Okay, weird. But more accounts Linda, so we're going with Linda. Okay. That's what I mean, like, this guy's life is kind of...
0: Well, you know, maybe she has a place.
1: stage name. That's true. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. yeah. Now that you say that, I never thought of that. But So he's got their daughter in tow, traveling north to Brooklyn. And I also cannot continue without mentioning that they also brought their pets with them. Okay. Weird. Weird Just, pivot? just a little fun fact in here. <laughs> yes, their pet dog named Tacky. Okay. Which is kind of a weird name, but not that weird. Yeah. Compared to, of course, their pet chicken named Fanny chi Of course, Fanny chi <laughs> Classic <laughs> chicken name. Right, so uh, Tacky and Fanny <laughs> chi are tagging along up to Brooklyn.
0: Just got a chicken. I gather you carry the... How do you carry a chicken?
1: <laughs> from under... Like a football. Like a football. Okay, yeah. so yeah. we're... we're... Yeah, scoop it from the back. Yeah. He pulled the neck between... I was a chicken farmer.
0: Yeah, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. you were. Oh <laughs> my yeah. God, yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: You're the perfect person to teach me about carrying yeah. a chicken. I forgot about that. I'm glad that. you asked, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Carrying on away yeah. from the chickens. We don't talk about the chickens anymore. Yeah. Obviously, Ricky and I as well would imagine that Bankhead... Or sorry, obviously, Ricky and I would imagine Bankhead as well. Yeah, is what I'm trying to say. Would have preferred the new call up got some reps in the minor leagues at first, but the situation was dire and Bankhead was thrown into the firestorm straight away.
0: Yeah, and it's late. Like, gotta be almost September at this point. So it's, a, it's...
1: late August. Yeah. Yes. He comes in to relieve Hal Gregg in the second inning of a game on August 26th.
0: Yeah, so I'm assuming Gregg didn't have the best start. Right? So,
1: no. <laughs> no so and i actually just want to quickly mention since it's august 26th bankhead i guess in fact did come to brooklyn alone at first before his family in the animal farm oh, okay. came so up what about a couple chicken? weeks later what about the chicken? well that's what i mean what the animal farm the the, the pet honey dog Lu- what's her name fanny <laughs> chichi i'm like honey lulu yeah, that. that's the daughter <laughs> Honey Lulu and Fanny chee Chi and Tacky <laughs> and Charlotte or Linda or whatever. You know?
0: <laughs> maybe he had two off. <laughs>
1: yeah. And maybe it's an Arthur Irwin situation. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it's not. Okay, so anyway. So back to his August 26 debut. As I said, Bankhead came in to relieve Greg in the second inning after Hal had allowed four pirate runs in the first and started the second allowing a single and walking the next man. So two men on. Yes. So, Dan Bankhead is summoned to clean up the mess. Jim Russell stepped to the plate, probably not expecting to enter the history books when he woke up that morning. Yep. And slammed a double off Bankhead. Fuck. Yeah. The Pirates sequence went double, sack fly, single, double. Good start. <laughs> <laughs> so, four more runs crossed the plate before Dan got Wally Westlake to ground out and Jimmy Bloodworth on a fly. Bloodworth some great names those aren't even the best names in this story oh, just you wait Okay. Dodgers didn't have much of an answer in the bottom half of the second as pitcher Fritz Ostermuller tossed a dandy Yep. Dixie Walker grounded out as did Cookie Lavagetto. okay
0: <laughs> you're just making
1: up Sesame Street character <laughs> no, names at no, this point I read these on the internet <laughs> I read these on the play-by-play score. Like, why, 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 like they're just like, well, the, like I'm, i taking
0: a shot here, but I'm just picturing like a racist Brooklyn Dodger fan being like, all these weird people coming to our team. I just want Cookie La La Land to fucking <laughs> yeah. be on the. Like, what's happened to the good old days when I had Lemieux, Foster, Teener the <laughs> third? Like, it's fu- <laughs> oh. yeah.
1: So. <laughs> Here's normal name. Stan Rojak took okay. a based on ball before Dan Bankhead came up in his first major league at bat and faced seven pitches from Oster Mueller. He got himself behind in the count one and two and fouled off three more pitches before he sent the seventh deep to left field. For the Dodgers' first two runs of the day and cementing his name into the history books once again as the first black player to homer in his first major league at bat. Holy shit, cool. Yeah. So Dan rode that high through the third and retired the side in order, mm-hmm. but Fritz Mueller answered back with just the same. In the fourth, the first pitch that Bankhead threw to the Pirates outfielder Wally Westlake came inside too far. Westlake remembers the pitch bore in hard, as Bankhead's high-octane fastballs often would. The pitch then struck Westlake in the left elbow. Quote, I couldn't get away from it. He just about took my left arm off, Westlake said. (laughs) But thankfully, this caused no altercation. Okay. You know, that was hot. Yeah, I guess. I guess.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first black pitcher ever. I kind of forgot about that. I just thought we were talking about a run of the mill game. Yeah, Yeah. so it's the first time a black pitcher has hit a white person. And you got to you got to think that some people in the stands were being assholes about that.
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, God. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. But th- like I say, thankfully, uh, Westlake just takes his base. Yeah, it and takes his base. It kind of, you know, goes by without, without a hitch. Except for probably, like you say, there, whatever's going be- there's on There's probably cra- some yeah. jeering
0: and racism.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan went on to allow four more runs and eight for the day. Six of them were earned on ten hits in his three and a third innings of work, as the Bucos shelled dembums, sixteen to three. Mm-hmm. So Bankhead was praised by the Dodger manager Bert Schotten for his curveball, the speed on his fastball, and for his control. But on the other hand, had criticism that perhaps he was tipping. Yeah. He's basically saying the boys could read his pitches. Yeah, you know,
0: they knew what so. was coming, and he was throwing a lot of strikes, which is great, but not when they're feasting on you.
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. But regardless of the bad outing, Shotten told Joe Reichler of the Associated Press that, quote, he wanted another look before I form an opinion one way or another.
0: They're giving, so him, another yeah, they're giving him another on, shot. Yeah, not a shot. Yeah.
1: Like you say, they throw him right into the fire. Exactly. Exactly. So Sam Lacey quoted Bankhead in the Richmond Afro-American after the game when he said, quote, I think I'll be okay as soon as this newness wears off. Today it seemed like I was wearing a new glove, new shoes, new hat. Everything seemed tight. So Bankhead pitched just three more times the rest of the season. Okay. I mean, it's late in the season, so yeah, it's yeah, understandable.
0: Yeah. And they wanted him to get a little more seasoning too, so it's understandable they might be... Trying to eat, especially after the first outing, trying yeah, to like yeah. find find the right spots for him to pitch.
1: Yeah, maybe high leverage isn't like the first, you know, cleaning <laughs> up the mess right of the thing, right? Exactly. You know, um, so three more times the season, no decisions, and a 7.20 ERA in 10 innings. Rough. So he only got four more innings after that one. So despite the track record, Dan was on the Dodgers roster for the World Series. So he and Robinson became the first two black players to play in the World Series. Cool. And Bankhead, he didn't pitch. He just made one appearance as a pinch runner in uh-huh. game six, and he almost fucked up. Whoa. Okay. Bobby Bragan pinch hit for pitcher Ralph Branca and doubled off the Yankees' Joe Page to score Carl Ferrillo and put the Dodgers up 6-5. to five. So Bankhead comes in to run for Bragan, mm-hmm. who recalled... Quote, Bankhead would have scored from second a few pitches later when Eddie Stanky singled to right, but Dan fell down, rounding third, and just scrambled back to the bag in time. Oof. When Pee Wee Reese singled to center, both Dan and Eddie scored to ice the game.
0: Okay, no harm, no so, foul. So there was no, no harm, harm, no, no foul, foul, but, yeah, you know. That's fine. That's
1: what I say. He almost fucked up. He did yeah, yeah, okay.
0: I was trying to understand what you meant by almost fucked up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No harm, no foul. Like you say, the Dodgers won game six over the Yankees, eight to six but as we know you know lost game seven the next day five to two mm-hmm. so at this point i think the dodgers are like you know okay this experiment didn't didn't really work with dan as a major league pitcher he's not ready but maybe we can make him into an outfielder ah, or a gardener as they say apparently Was that like a fourth outfielder? Uh, There was like a coach at the time that had a quote. And he was like, they tried to make Bankhead into a gardener. And I was like, you know, thankfully there was... Parentheses that explain the that that <laughs> outfielder, because I was like,
0: oh, "What?" <laughs> I guess because they're in the, on the grass. They're, they're, I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're gardeners.
1: Yeah, so not on the dirt. On I'm the, gonna on use the, that from now on. Oh, fuck yeah, man. <laughs> Great gardeners. Yeah. So that didn't work out either. So Dan was made a pitcher again and sent down to the minors. <laughs> we tried making him a gardener. Didn't work. Didn't Send work. him back to the hill people tribe. <laughs> That's right. So he is. Uh, so he's down the minors for 48 and nine. At the beginning of the forty-eight season, Dan went to the Class B affiliate in Nashua, New Hampshire. Yeah, where he ate.
0: Assuming, did well. Yes, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming that's what that meant. <laughs> to clarify,
1: on July twenty-fifth, he fired a seven-inning no-hitter against the Springfield Cubs. Mm-hmm. He blazed his way to a twenty-and-six, two-point-three-five ERA record, mm-hmm. with a league-leading two hundred and forty-three strikeouts. Wow. Yeah. His wins also led the New England League and he barely missed the triple crown of pitching. The leader was 233. Okay. This earned him a promotion to the Triple A affiliate St. Saint Paul Saints in Minnesota at the end of August. He finished the season well with four wins for the Saints, no losses, and a 360 ERA. Okay. So he pitched again for Caguas in Puerto Rico for the winner, and he was assigned to Montreal for nineteen forty nine. The other Dodgers triple-A team. Yes. Right. I don't know why they had two, but Multiple affiliates. They had... Lots of teams had two back Ranch then, Branch Rickey so.
0: controlled a lot of baseball back That's then. True.
1: <laughs> I invented the farm system. I'm allowed to have as many farm teams as I want.
0: <laughs> we have 15 single-A teams. We got teams. a whole
1: fleet of gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> we got boat people. We got
0: baseball and boats.
1: <laughs> Wait till you hear about the donkeys. <laughs> so... He uh, had another favorable year, winning 20 and losing 6, leading the league in strikeouts with 176 and winning the International League pennant before dropping the Little World Series to Indianapolis four games to two. Arm trouble was starting to hound Bankhead, though. He walked 170 batters that year as well.
0: In how many innings?
1: Uh I don't have the number of innings specifically but a lot but of walks compared to 176 strikeouts so you know he's yeah. like canceling oh. out every strikeout wow. with a be- with a yeah. walk essentially you okay. 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 know uh so that earned him the moniker wild man of the international league mhm as it would so he continued his winning ways although with uh Cagwus winning the Puerto Rican Winter League's title in 1949-50 mhm and then before the 1950 season opened, Bankhead was the subject of a shitty quote. Okay. You know, it was kind of an uncomplimentary story that quoted Branch Rickey. Oh. It was in the Syracuse Herald American, uh-huh. and the article was titled, or headline, sorry, Branch Rickey may be forced to eat words. Okay.
0: <laughs> These words, we're going to make him eat this newspaper. <laughs>
1: So in the article, Ricky was ale- allegedly turned down, quote, a flattering offer from the Braves for the big right-hander oh, in Bankhead. Okay. And he confidently told Lou Perini that Bankhead wouldn't help the Boston club. Yeah, You don't want him. You don't want him. That's essentially what he was saying. It's fine. So that obviously brought Dan into spring training in 1951 with a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he, in fact, would make Branch Ricky eat his words Yeah, when he earned a starting spot and proceeded to collect nine wins that year. Okay. Which, that would, that would be all of them, though. Yeah. Okay. Dan took his first four decisions, first in relief of Don Newcomb at the Polo Grounds on April 28th. He would go the distance versus the Cubs at Ebbets Field on May 24th. And on the Cubs at Ebbets Field? Oh, yeah, because hey, he's on the Dodgers. Dodgers. Right. So, yeah,
0: like We've gone no. to a Dodgers and Cubs game. Yeah. What am I
1: saying? <laughs> uh, brain fart. And on June 18th, he shut out the Cardinals on six hits at home. Wow. So, you know, it seems like he's coming into his own. But just when Bankhead looked to be settling in as an important member of the rotation, his arm problems took a turn for the worse. Damn. The New York Times reported on July the 8th, quote, Dan Bankhead's trouble is serious and may call for surgery. The Negro has considered clarification, considerable calcification in his shoulder. Jesus Christ, just call him Dan. <laughs> I know. I
0: just, <laughs> okay, yeah. I know. I know yeah, yeah. yeah, I know you're reading the quote it's there. Abrasive. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, the root cause was apparently a dislocation suffered at the age of 17.
0: Oh shit! Okay, yeah.
1: so that I guess never really healed, and he just constantly had these,
0: well, yeah, bone so, spurs or whatever. yeah. I'm
1: not a doctor, but no. I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the winter of 1951, the Bankheads welcomed their son William while Dan was playing for Escogido Leones in the Dominican Republic. All right. Bankhead's arm ailed him terribly throughout the 1951 season, though back in the majors, mm-hmm. he probably didn't have the surgery. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. He pitched only 14 innings in seven games for the Dodgers and went 0-1 with a disgusting 15.43 ERA. Yeah, that was not your year. (laughs) No. He was shelled for 14 runs and 16 hits in seven innings over his final two appearances. Damn. On July 24th, Brooklyn announced that it had sold his contract to Montreal and brought up Clem Labine from St. Paul to replace him and Bankhead never made it back to the Majors. Yeah.
0: That's like your final option there. Once, once your contract, like, yeah, I guess it's like, nah, the Dodgers don't even own you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the Royals, yeah. do. Montreal, yeah,
1: oof. Yeah. So he's a minor league guy now. He's sent to Montreal for 52 and released outright by the Dodgers in July after poor results. By August, he had returned to Escogito in the Dominican and was even named the club's manager. His managerial career had started poorly with three straight losses, Mm -hmm. and in trying for his first win against the Estrellas Elefantes, he tried an aggressive base running play that backfired. Oof. He's a player manager. Yeah, okay. 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 So the third baseman had thrown a live ball to the ground, arguing with the umpire, who had called Bankhead safe at third. Ah. Dan then broke for the plate.
0: Yeah, so, I mean... He
1: threw it on the ground. Yeah, and I throw it on the ground. <laughs> he threw it
0: on the ground, but it didn't go that far from him.
1: That's right. So Dan stupidly ran. Yeah, and he was out at home. Oh. Ah, okay. So the sporting news covered the altercation that followed. Ah. quote catcher Zoilo Rosario fuming immediately fired the ball at the negro pitcher as he headed towards the Lions bench. Jesus
0: Christ. Okay, yeah. once, once again. What, yeah, once again, but also so so there was probably a it was probably a, a a hard slide. A hard slide and I'm assuming the ball got there well before he got there. So the catcher gets up After he's walking back and whips the ball at him as he walks back to the bench. Yes,
1: but his aim was inaccurate and he missed. Yeah. However, Bankhead quickly whirled around picked up the catcher's mask and hit Rosario over the head with it. Holy opening shit. a gash that required three stitches. Oh, that's not a man. That's not too bad. <laughs> still <laughs> so, stitches. He still struck stitches. struck
0: the man with his yeah, own mask. That's like the third time in our 80 episodes <laughs> that somebody's got <laughs> hit in the face with a catcher or yeah, umpire yeah. mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not a good percentage. Oh, you know? I know. <laughs> it's more than you'd expect. More than you'd expect, <laughs> yeah. In the free-for-all that followed, Bankhead was knocked out cold. Fuck. And after peace was restored, Rosario and Bankhead were fined and jailed.
0: <laughs> I was like, "Oh, the team's fined, jailed. Straight to jail. It was a baseball jail. It was in
1: Dominican, <laughs> Dominican jail. Oh man. shit. <laughs> uh, this might have been Trujillo times. Yeah. yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah. Actually, it is right here. That's yeah. what we're gonna say. <laughs> the club was already having financial negotiation troubles with Bankhead, who was fired by club president. Paco Martinez Alba. Okay. Who was the Dominican dictator, Rafael <laughs> Trujillo's brother-in-law.
0: <laughs> this pitcher is a, hes an asshole. He's no good. He just <laughs> got into a fight. Put him in jail.
1: Straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> jail. So yeah, uh, he was fired for, quote, breaking training, fraternizing with players of another team and failing to show up for practice. Oh, should mention that he's he was... He's the
0: manager. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where is the manager? He's in jail. Yeah. Why is he... Like, where do we do? He's fired. Why? This is not here. He's late.
1: <laughs> what
0: happened to him? I put him in jail.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you see how I win in all cases? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so he gets fired. And um, in 1953, Dan headed north to Drummondville, In the Canadian Provincial League. Okay. But was dumped in July when the Drummondville Royals unloaded a bunch of veterans with hefty salaries. Ah, So So they're they're like, you're not really contributing much. We don't want to pay. Yeah. Get out of here, Dan. So, um, let's see. At this point, Bankhead went to Mexico where he would spend nearly all of his remaining 13 years in the game. Jesus
0: Christ, <laughs> Still, his arm's going to fall I off.
1: <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. He spent those years bouncing around to various leagues and teams throughout Mexico, with brief stops in Puerto Rico once again. Dan was a player, coach, and manager in many instances in these days, but he never seemed to stay more than a couple of seasons. Uh-huh. Most of the time, changing places every year. In 1958, there was a gap in his playing career that may have been because of another domestic dispute with Linda. Oh, dear. That he may have been arrested for. Okay. Okay. So he
0: he might have done some time in Mexican jail as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't expecting... Two stints in foreign country jails.
1: Yeah, uh, to come out in this episode. Yeah, well it has. So he hung the cleats up briefly in 1965, but took one last hurrah as a player with Reynosa in 1966 before ending his baseball days managing Aguascalientes in Mexico. All right, go go Calientes. Yeah. So as with Aguascalientes is actually the city. Yeah, I don't have the nickname of the team.
0: I I realized that when I started saying it, and I was like, yeah, fuck. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So as with many lifelong baseball men, life itself became a struggle after baseball had ended for Dan. A family friend, Doc Settles, who—Doc Settles is one that kind of like a lot of the life story is coming from, and I kind of touch upon that here. Um, Doc Settles said, quote, From what I understand, everything started to implode for Dan in Mexico. Mm-hmm. and Dan's own son William may have alluded to a double life for his father as Whoa. well see you know? Charlotte Lucy or whoever maybe yeah, yeah. maybe it was kind of the newspapers were kind of, like, talking about another woman yeah. that he was with but anyway that's not really confirmed but uh, his son William said quote he was pitching more than balls you know what I mean <laughs> too many kids too many intimacies there are several kids down in Mexico that I know of Wow. And you can't live in a foreign country without money. I assume that means he's, like, sending his money to to all the, the, you know... Kids. Secret kids. Secret kids. He's like the Kenny Powers of fucking... That's exactly I'm immediately (laughs)
0: thinking of Eastbound and Down right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, at some point in the 1970s, Bankhead was diagnosed with lung cancer, Oh, and he was in and out of the Veterans Administration Hospital in Houston... Quote, his little smoking habit finally caught up with him, said Doc Settles, whose mother, here's the explanation, his mother, Martha Ann and aunts Charlene and Essie mm-hmm. grew up with Dan in Alabama. Yeah. So I, I imagine they told him a lot of stories and then he got interviewed about, that's where, you know, a lot yeah. of these yeah, stories yeah, are Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So he's, he's kind of secondhand accounting.
1: Yeah. Most of this. So eventually he succumbed, he being Dan, succumbed on May 2nd, 1976. Okay. A day short of his 56th birthday. Yeah. And, you know, as we're kind of mentioning, Dan sadly passed before the Negro Leagues and Brooklyn Dodgers historians could record his personal memories. Okay. But thankfully family like William and his friends like Settles have helped to paint a picture of Dan's life and how he changed throughout the years. Yep. He lost two jobs abroad under a cloud, which is an idiom way of saying that he had done something that made him untrustworthy.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound like he was uh, a great hire
1: Yeah, <laughs> in a yeah. lot of cases. Yeah, sounds like he had a short temper. i kind of going to mention that in a second. His brothers, Sam and Garnet, both huh. had short tempers. Yep. And it was evident because they both died by gunshot following quarrels. What the... Maybe... What? Okay, so there's
0: another episode coming.
1: (laughs) And they were aged 70 and 63, no less.
0: So they're just,
1: like, getting in fucking... We talked about story ideas before this episode. I think you're
0: good. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know all about these brothers.
1: (laughs) So, like I said, Dan also had a temper, which allegedly was easily provoked by women. Yeah. Oh, dear.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that's not a yep. That's a oh, dear. Yeah,
1: that's an oh, dear. Uh, which, you know, I kind of alluded to with the domestic dispute yes. with Linda. Uh, his family right, life was at times tumultuous, obviously. Yet as he battled illness and lived hand to mouth in his final years, this man attained peace. This is, what, uh, this is from Settles. Okay. Settles described Bankhead from the days he came to Houston. Quote was Dan was facing inner turmoil when he first came to Houston. He was trying to get back on his feet, but he stepped in right when I needed somebody in my life. He was so humble, and he had a down-home sensibility that grounded him. I was just a teenager, and he was always willing to share a few moments with me and my brothers. Dan spent his final years working for a small service company delivering food, goods, and supplies to small businesses and restaurants across Houston. I always thought he'd go back to Mexico when he got... but then he got sicker. You could see him erode. He'd have his ups and downs, but he knew. He just got more and more humble. He was resolved to make peace. Dan's final days living in Houston were filled with reflection and days of happiness. He had a personality you wanted to be around. He left you with positive things. I was able to enjoy his laughter and his jokes and his smiles. I just wish we knew more about what he went through as an African-American baseball trailblazer.
0: Damn. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I mean, you did
1: a great job outlining what
0: he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there is details there that I'd love to know a little bit more about.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I I'm just going to kind of add before I like totally wrap up here, but I I mean, I'm sure a lot I'm sure you do and I'm sure a lot of people do share that same sentiment that like we do wish we knew more, more about Dan Bankhead and, you know, yeah. The, the specific details of his life. Um, you know, it is a shame that we don't know more about this man who was a trailblazer for the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe if he has more success, like, I would imagine that he would have had more fanfare in the press. But, you know, there uh, in the article, Costello's article, there was... Uh, talk of a conversation between Buck O'Neill and Satchel Page's son, Robert. Yeah. And O'Neill offered a nuanced view of the reasoning behind Dan, ba- why Bankhead may have struggled so much. Yeah. And he said, quote, see, here's what I always heard. Dan was scared to death that he was going to hit a white boy with a pitch. hmm He thought there might be some court of, sort of riot if he did it. Dan was from Alabama just like your father. But Satchel became a man of the world. Yeah. Dan was always from Alabama, you know what I mean? He heard all those people calling him names, making those threats, and he was scared. He'd seen black men get lynched. Holy fuck.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, you know. give that kind of perspective to it. Yeah. It's yeah, like he might not have been successful, but like no wonder. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that that mm-hmm. is a great That's way a to lot do. to overcome, you know? Yeah, and, and just because you didn't succeeds statistically does not like you shouldn't take away from what he accomplished
1: no no he definitely like you know accomplished a lot and you know just like like you say statistically his numbers don't really matter he he you know opened a door for for yeah. for people
0: well and it's just a shame that that you know it's, it's that's you know once again i love when buck o'neill kind of gives us that that sage uh, advice that, that we can't, we just don't have that perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, don't, we don't have that, that kind of nuance to understand, and then all of a sudden, like, one quote from him can really put it all in perspective for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was great. That was fantastic. I uh, I appreciate that story. It's, like, about somebody that, you know, may not have been the best person, but was, you know, mm-hmm. th- well, was history was thrust you know, upon him. Yeah.
1: was like a touchstone in history, right? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. No that's amazing and and I can't wait to hear more with the Bankhead Bros that's <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. That's gonna be an episode in the future. Yeah, we'll the give gun, this time.
1: The gun-toting bankhead the, bros. The elderly gun-toting yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: bros. Dude, I can't wait. Don't read about them. We'll tell yeah. you in a,
1: okay. like a year. Yeah. I don't know
0: when. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, till next time. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. On Instagram at Doing Baseball. TikTok is at Doing Baseball. At Doing Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. And if you're listening, wherever you're listening, thank you. And please give us a review. Please give us a, a like or a follow or whatever you can do for us. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your parents. Tell your grandparents. That's probably our mm. demographic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, thank thanks you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we were bringing you some baseball history. Thank you so much. Okay, bye.